So Luke uh, chapter 6 uh, verses 1 to 18 is where we will be going today. I'm just going to read the full passage and then I will open in a word of prayer and then we will begin to discuss it. And it came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the cornfields and his disciples plucked the ears of corn and did eat, rubbing them in their hands. And certain of the Pharisees said unto him, Why do you do ye do that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath days? And Jesus answering them said, Have ye not read so much as this? What David did when he himself was in hunger, and when they were with and with they which were with him, how he went into the house of God and did take and eat of the showbread, and gave also to them that were with him, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priests alone. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. And it came to pass also on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught. And there was a man whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man, which had the withered hand, Rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. Then said Jesus unto them, I will ask you one thing, is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? And he looked round about upon them all, and he said to the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored, all as the other. And they were filled with madness and communed with one another what they might do to Jesus. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and also of them he chose twelve, and of them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zelotes, and Judas the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we open your word today, that you would be honored and glorified, that your word would go forth from my lips. Lord, I pray that anything that is not of me, that you would toss it aside and uh, make it of, of no importance to the people here. But the things that you want to say to us, I pray that they would come forth with boldness and with strength. I ask that you bless everyone in attendance. I ask that you would keep the evil one from this place. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. All right. Well, in this particular day, we're going to continue to see Jesus setting the religious leaders straight. Now, you would think, and in our modern view of things, you know, we need to set 
the law straight. We need to go into the highways and byways and set these people straight. But it was often the people that, that the Pharisees thought were lost causes that got it. You know, Jesus said that publicans and sinners will get to heaven before you. That's what he said to the, to the Pharisees. Why? Because the publicans and the sinners knew their place. They knew they had no merit with which to come before God. And so God responded by bringing them in and changing their life. Remember the woman at the well in John chapter 4. When Jesus starts talking to her about water. And he asks her for a drink. And at the end of that time, the woman at the well left her water pot, went into the city and said, Come Hear from a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And it said many people believed because of her word. Now, the Pharisees were probably like, why would they believe her? She's a sinner. Not realizing that all of us are sinners. See, that's the first thing we need to know. God does not view us as righteous and sinners. We are righteous because of what God did for us. But we are all sinners, soul under death. And then Jesus comes and makes the difference. That's why I often remember the phrase, but for the grace of God, there go I. And Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And that is my testimony, or I desire it to be my testimony as well. And so as we get into this passage in Luke chapter 6, we'll see these religious presuppositions that the Pharisees have and how Jesus deals with them. Because he strikes the perfect balance. See, the religious leaders had a lot of good ideas. They wanted to keep the Sabbath holy. That's what they said anyway. They wanted to do the right things. But in the midst of trying to do the right things and keep the Sabbath holy, they forgot why they were doing these things. You see, the Christian life is not about a list of things that we do in hopes that we will make it to heaven. The Christian life is about knowing the person of Jesus Christ and doing the things which He wants us to do because we are compelled by our love for Him because of His love for us. Let me say that again. We do the things that are right in the Christian life because we are compelled to do so because of our love for Him, which comes from His love for us. And so as we start in this chapter, we read in the first five verses in review. And it came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first that He went through the cornfields and His disciples plucked the ears of corn and did eat, rubbing them in their hands. And certain of the Pharisees said unto them, why do you do that which is not lawful to do 
on the Sabbath days. And Jesus answering them said, Have ye not read so much as this, what David did, when he himself was in hunger, and they which were with him, how he went into the house of God, and did take and eat the showbread, and gave them unto them that were with him, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priests alone? And he said unto them, that the Son of Man is also is Lord also of the Sabbath. Now, the Pharisees were saying, uh, you, you shouldn't go through and pluck the ears of corn on the Sabbath. Why did they say that? Because that was work. That was considered work. And it's also kind of ironic as we will go through this passage that you'll see Jesus simply speak a word and the man's hand is restored and they still say, well, you worked on the Sabbath, therefore you're wrong. And we want to accuse you and we want to kill you because you worked on the Sabbath, even though he had more power in his mouth than the most muscular of the Pharisees had in their entire body. Because this was the mouth that spoke the very earth on which we are now sitting into existence. But as he, as he goes through, Jesus is going to tell us or show us that meeting our practical personal needs is not a violation of Sabbath rest. You know, my, my mom, just for an example, she makes us meals every day. Occasionally she'll get an off day, but she has no vacation plan. She makes the meals every day, and, and it doesn't stop because it's Sunday. Now, often my dad will assist in cooking on Sunday to make things a little easier, and we do simpler things so that we can focus on rest. But the idea here is that just as David in the Old Testament met a practical need for himself and his men in a way that was available to him, so these disciples were doing. And Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you're so focused on the doing that you have no idea to whom it is that you're speaking. And you have no idea the significance of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not just a day, or, this, or for us, Sunday is not just a day. So that we can check it off and say to everybody around us, we took a day of rest on Sunday. That's not what Sunday is about. Rather, we are given the opportunity to rest on Sunday so that we can focus on Jesus. And Jesus only. So even though these Pharisees were busy with all they're doing, and, uh, and the more importantly, they weren't just busy with all they're doing. If they were busy with it, well, only what they were doing, they might have gotten on the right track. But they found themselves with a lot of extra time on their hands to be busy with what everybody else was doing. And as Jesus is, is relating this, He says, The Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. So he says, it doesn't matter what you are doing in a physical sense if your focus isn't on me. And he stood right before them 
and they refused him. And that's that is is a sad reality of the situation in which we find ourselves. And if somebody could read Matthew chapter 23 verses 23 and 24 we will continue to talk about this first point which is the Sabbath is about God and us. So he's not saying here in this in this cross reference passage, he's not saying that the Pharisees are always doing the wrong thing. It, it'd be easy for us to say, well, the Pharisees never got anything right. No, he's not saying that they got everything right. But what he's saying is you you focus on things of lesser importance and you elevate things that are or that you push aside things that are of greater importance. And I always think too of the passage where Jesus rebukes them because he says, in, in your culture, you say, as long as I say this is a gift from God, I don't have to take care of my parents. Because God is more important than my family. Yes, God is more important than your family. But guess what? God gave you your family responsibilities. He tells husbands to love their wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. He tells wives to submit to their own husbands in everything as is fitting to the Lord. He tells children to obey their parents. And in another and in, and in the same passage he says honor your father and mother. Now, I know as a 35-year-old man, I don't obey my parents in the same way that I did when I was 12, 13 years old. But I can tell you this, the command to honor your father and mother never ends. The Proverbs say it this way, despise not your mother when she is old. So the idea of honoring your parents and seeking to please them as it pleases the Lord, of course, is a lifelong pursuit. And it should not be tossed out in the name of God. How many things do we do in our own name and slap the name of God on there like it's a bumper sticker? Something to think about for myself, I know. And so, Jesus is constantly telling the Pharisees, get your focus right. Realize that you're not perfect. Humble yourselves 
And I will bring you up. That's why he used... He didn't bring a bunch of Pharisees and clerics with him as part of the twelve. He brought fishermen and tax collectors. Not just because he loves the unlovable, which is very true, but because he can only mold the moldable. Many of the Pharisees took themselves out of contention because they were not moldable. And even Nicodemus, who we read did not consent to the death of Jesus, he still visited Jesus by night. And he didn't really show himself that much until he goes with Joseph of Arimathea to bury Jesus. And we don't read if Nicodemus saw the risen Christ. But I hope and pray that he trusted the risen Christ and that I'll get a chance to see him in heaven. I don't know that for sure, but I believe he was a follower of our Lord. But the point is, those people who were in the religious leadership who followed the Lord were few and far between. Why? Because their own religiousness got in the way of a relationship. See, some people ask me, they say, oh, I've heard you're very religious. <clears throat> and I hate that term. I hate it. Because it's not about a religion to me. Yes, if I am characterizing me, myself in a religion, I will say that I am a born-again Christian and that is my religion. But more importantly, and most importantly, my relationship is with the God of Heaven through His Son, Jesus Christ. I have a relationship with the living God, which is far greater than any religion. Frederick Buchner, and I'm not exactly sure who he is, but I love this quote that I found this week. It says, The trouble oft times with religious people is that they try to be more spiritual than God Himself. We all have a human tendency to go to look at what God said and add to it. Even the devil does this in Genesis chapter 3. Look at it sometime. He said, Do not eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden of, eat, of the knowledge of good and evil. That's what God said. And I don't remember if it was the devil himself or even if it might have been the woman, but at some point there is added into there something about touching it. Now granted, touching it is not a good idea if you want to stay away from the temptation of eating it. Just as if you're, if you're an alcoholic or a recovering alcoholic, putting a six-pack of beer in your fridge is not a good idea. But even in that first sin... There was an added stipulation that God didn't put there. And it's just a reminder of what we tend to do in the Christian life. And we tend to think of the Christian life in the way we live it. And if people aren't living it the way we want them to, they must not be a Christian, or at least not as Christian as they could be.
We need to get away from that. Point two. As God continues, or Jesus continues to set these religious leaders straight. Point two. The Sabbath is for doing good. Luke 6, 6-11 reads, And it came to pass on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught. And there was a man whose right hand was withered. And the Pharisees, or and the scribes and Pharisees, watched him whether he would heal on the Sabbath day that they might find accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said unto the man with the withered hand, Rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. Then said Jesus unto them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? And looking around upon them all, he said unto the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored whole as the other. And they were filled with madness and communed with one another what they might do to Jesus. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer. Now, obviously in this passage, there's a lot about him healing on the Sabbath. And I, I googled this and looked it up and I'm not sure if this is accurate because I only found one source. But I heard that there were, were seven specific miracles that were attributed to being done on the Sabbath. And seven tends to be like the number of perfection so there may be a little bit of uh, significance there. But as we look at this, it's kind of interesting what he does here. First of all, he went into the synagogue and he's teaching. So, his primary goal when he came to earth for us was not physical healing. He was capable of physical healing, he did physical healing, he cared about people's physical healing. But his primary goal in that physical healing was to show spiritual truth and to reach people spiritually. Because you know what? You can be the healthiest person alive. And recently I was listening to 60 Minutes because I get it as a podcast on my phone. And I was listening to 60 Minutes and they were... I had a story about the centenarians. A centenarian is somebody that lives to be a hundred. And they had all these people that were in this study about why they live long. And I don't know if it was omitted from the story, which is possible, but nobody really mentioned God. But I was thinking, as I was listening to that, you know, even though they are all over 100, unless... Jesus comes back in the next few years and they are believers, they're all going to die. It didn't matter that they were a hundred. They still had the same death sentence. 
And so anyway, um, Jesus is in the synagogue and teaching, which was his primary goal. And in the course of his teaching, and of course, you know, and in the course of his teaching, there is a man with a withered hand. Now, I, I would say if this was a human being, that in the course of his teaching, he noticed the man with the withered hand and called him out. But we know that Jesus knows all things. So I'm sure he knew that he had an appointment with this man on that day. But through the course of his teaching, and of course the Pharisees are there looking on, they're watching him to see if he will heal, because that's like the worst thing ever. I, I find that so hilarious in a way, that the Pharisees thought that this was the worst thing ever, that he was going to heal somebody. But it says, they were watching him whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might find an accusation against them. Have you ever had anybody in your life that was bound and determined to have an accusation against you no matter what you did? They were looking for the least little thing, the least hair out of place, if you will, so that they could bring an accusation against you. I know certain people that aren't happy unless they're not happy, which I don't know why you would want to live that way, but I, I know a few of them. And it's kind of sad. But that's where the Pharisees find themselves here. And this is one of my favorite phrases. It's repeated over and over in the Gospel. It says, But he knew their thoughts. Reminds me of the, of the story we, we were in either last time or, or a couple times ago where it talks about the, the, the man who was lame. And uh, Jesus is hearing them have these thoughts. They didn't even speak. And he says, knowing their thoughts, he does this miracle. And I don't know if it was always different Pharisees that showed up or if they were just really that thick skull that they never got it. But he always seemed to hit them right where it hurt. And so he knew their thoughts and said to the man with the withered hand, Rise and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. And of course they're thinking, this is an interruption to the service. I'm going to get home later because of it. My roast is going to be burnt. <clears throat> Whatever. But he said, he turns to them and he said, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? And none of them answered. Because none of them wanted to be on the bad side of the Pharisees. See, when popularity matters more to you than doing right, God can never do anything in your life. <clears throat> and this also reminds me of when Jesus said, which of you, if you have a donkey fall into a ditch on the Sabbath day, will not pull it out? See, 
We should not do work for the sake of work on Sunday. I believe it should be a day of rest set aside. But there are certain daily parts of work that need to be done regardless of the day. My parents decided on Sundays we're not going to be parents because it's Sunday (laughs) and we need to rest. Then... Sundays would be even more chaos than they were going up. And they tended to be Sunday mornings especially because that's the devil's favorite day. He wants to get you out of sorts before you get to church in the morning. Fortunately, um, my parents have taught me by example to be quick to forgive and to put things behind. But there have been challenges. But anyway... Going on, no one answers. He looked around about upon them all. I think he was kind of saying, Is anybody going to answer me? But then he said unto the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored, whole as the other. And they all rejoiced and welcomed him into the fellowship, and one person offered him a job. No. That's not what we read here. And they were filled with madness and communed with one another what they might do with Jesus. Wait a second. This man was in their midst with a withered hand. We don't know, but most likely he was born with this condition. I've known a couple people that have withered hands. So I know that it does happen. And Jesus just speaks a word. And his hand is restored. So this man that had a withered hand when he went to synagogue that morning was now standing whole before them. And the only thing they can think of is how do we get rid of Jesus? Did anybody care that this man who was an outcast of society could now join productive society and do jobs that were once closed to him because he was healed? We're not even told what this man's reaction was. I kind of wish we were, kind of like the blind man, but God didn't choose to impart it to us, but I I would hope that at least from his perspective, his life was changed. And he didn't appreciate what they were saying, but we don't know that. But it says they were filled with madness and communed with one another what they might do to Jesus. And I think that is the direct work of the prince of darkness, the devil. Every time he see when 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 the, the man and the woman ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the devil said, "I won. I got them to do what God didn't want them to do." When the flood covered the earth, the devil probably said, "I won," because everything is destroyed. Every time the devil tries to do havoc and destruction, 
Jesus comes back and puts things back together. And one day he's going to do that for all time. Third point. We meet the 12 disciples. Let me backtrack a little bit again here to read the end of this portion. And it came to pass in those days that he went out in the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. That's convicting to me. Because if the, de- if the Son of God spends all night in prayer before he calls his disciples to give them words of wisdom, how much more should I be spending time before the throne of God before I preach his word? I need to spend more time. I don't think there's ever been a such thing that I've heard of in my life as too much prayer. If there is, let me know. It would be interesting to hear about. But I do not know. And it says, in the remaining verses of this passage, verses 12 to 18, And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zelotes, and Judas the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which was the traitor. Another name for Judas is Thaddeus. And he came down with them and stood in the plain, and in the company of his disciples, and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him, and to be healed of their diseases. And they were vexed with unclean spirits. And they were healed. I just wanted to say a couple thoughts about the disciples. First of all, I have a couple cross-references here in John chapter 1. I will not read them, but I would encourage you to read them. The first one is John 1, 35-42. Second one is John 1, 43 to 51. And in these we see the call of Peter, who was brought to Jesus by his brother Andrew. You know, my parents gave us names of the disciples so that we could have names to live up to. And I'm so humbled that God has called me to preach the word of God to hopefully bring people to Jesus. Just as my biblical counterpart did. And even though Andrew kind of fades in the background, we hear from him a couple times, like in the feeding of the 5,000, but pretty much fades into the background of the biblical text. We know that Peter, through the help of the Holy Spirit, was a world changer. So maybe you are not called to be the world changer, but maybe you are called to influence a world changer. I want to encourage the moms here. Sometimes it can seem like being a mom isn't that great of a calling because in our, in our culture and even in the church, we don't elevate it the way it should be. But I think that mom is one of the greatest callings on the face of the earth. Why? Because my mom 
has been able to influence potentially 11 families for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because she stayed home, she raised us, she taught us both from the Bible and through our schooling. And then one by one, it's releasing us as arrows into the world to make an impact for the kingdom of God. So maybe you feel like a bystander, but you never know when you might influence a world changer. It was a simple deacon who preached on a cold winter day when only about four or five people showed up at a church building. And I don't remember who it was, whether it was D.L. Moody or Charles Spurgeon, but it was one of those people were at that meeting. And they came to know Jesus Christ, and we all know which, what both of those men have done for the kingdom of God. Because a man who was not called to preach was called in that moment to preach, and he was faithful to it, and God changed the world through it. Just want to close by sharing this story. In the 11th century, King Henry III of Bavaria grew tired of court life and the pressures of being a monarch. He made application to Prior Richard at the local monastery, asking to be accepted as a contemplative and spend the rest of his life in the monastery. Your Majesty, said Prior Richard, do you understand that the pledge here is one of obedience? That will be hard to do because you have been king. I understand, said Henry, the rest of my life I will be obedient to you as Christ leads you. Then I will tell you what to do, said Prior Richard. Go back to your throne and serve faithfully in the place where God has put you. When King Henry died, a statement was written. The king learned to rule by being obedient. When we tire of our roles and responsibilities, it helps to remember that God has planted us in a certain place and told us to be a good accountant or teacher or mother or father. Christ expects us to be faithful where he puts us and when he returns, we'll rule together with him. And that's from Steve Brown. And then also the second story that's in that cross-reference that I mentioned earlier, is the story of Philip going to Nathaniel and bringing him to Jesus. And Nathaniel said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip, I love Philip's response. Because he said, Come and see. My friends, as I close, I just want to ask you, have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Because He is. Maybe you're wondering about this Jesus. Maybe you've heard a lot about him. You know, most of Grand Rapids or Holland can tell you that Jesus lived 2,000 years ago and that he died on the Roman cross. But that doesn't mean they've personalized it. It doesn't mean that the resurrection has given them new life because you can know something without really knowing it. 
So do you want to know who Jesus is? Do you want to know what he has to say to you? I say to you what Philip said to Nathaniel. Come and see. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time that we have to share from your word. I thank you for allowing me to be your mouthpiece and allowing these people to be here today. I pray that this has been an encouragement to them. I pray that we will all strive to be better disciples of you, not through our own doing, but through submitting ourselves to you, through spending time in prayer, and through being humble and realizing who we are in Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Now I ask that you would go with them, that your face would shine upon them, that you would give them peace. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.